1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I remind you, this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help us to affirm today a clear, countercultural, explicit, biblical, universal changing, but uh, universe changing, but universal truth that you have created man, male, and female after your own image. Help us, Lord, to proclaim these things, to believe these things and to acquit ourselves as men and women, as you have made us, to submit to your word, to delight in your word, to consider it our calling to do all that is contained therein. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On March 22nd, 2022, there was an interesting conversation that took place in the Senate. Marshall Blackburn asked this question. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Katanji Jackson-Brown replied, Can I provide a definition? No. Further, Blackburn pressed her, and she said, Well, no, I I can't. Blackburn said, Well, you can't? And she replied, No, not in this context. I'm not a biologist. It's an extraordinary statement, really. It's the equivalent of saying... I can't tell you what a fire is because I'm not a firefighter. Uh, I can't tell you what a loaf of bread is. In fact, you may be a loaf of bread because I'm not a baker. Uh, I can't tell you what a snake is because I'm not a herpetologist. I had to look that word up. Uh, But Katanji Brown, was, which is ironic, was nominated because of one reason. Because she is a woman. And she... To be honest, if you followed her line of questioning, she had she shouldn't have been suggested or nominated. And yet she was nominated for one reason, because she is a woman, not because she identifies as a woman, but because she is identifiable as a woman. Well, it's an incredible and, and extraordinary time in which we find ourselves. That's not the only instance it has proliferated in recent days. The argument of the day is ascendant transgender ideology, and we might actually say transgender mythology. We say that with love. We say that with genuine concern. We say that not with ridicule, but in the spirit of acknowledging that Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the things which are true regarding spiritual things cannot be appraised or prized by those who do not understand and upon whom the Spirit of God has not moved. It is a lamentable condition. It is an embarrassing condition. But it is part and parcel of the sinful condition in which we find ourselves. We exchange the truth for a lie. We should not be surprised when the world does that. And rather than change their behavior or correct their misunderstandings, they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this passage is about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how holy, godly conduct can in fact change hearts and minds 
as used by the Holy Spirit. We live in times when the identity identity of a man and a woman is completely disconnected or is said to be completely disconnected from biological realities. Reproduction, masculinity, physical form, biological realities, biological function are no longer accurate definitive marks of being a man or a woman. Science has been abandoned for how an individual wishes to represent themselves or on a day-to-day basis feel themselves to be. This used to be characterized as mental illness, and it continues to it continues to be, is my understanding, but now is celebrated and encouraged. There is more confusion, more sexual confusion in our world, polygamy and polyamory and pederasty undermining monogamy and the family that God has created. There are so very many things that God has in fact or that, 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 that take place in our country uh, that seem to be proliferating in modern days. We're seeing the creation of a new social norm via the destruction of scientific and physiological and biblical uh, definitions. This begins ultimately, dear friends, with the destruction of the nuclear family, not because of the importance of the nuclear family, but because God has created the nuclear family, men and women, as his ideal. And not just something better than, but, but rather the only representation of the family before God. God has established covenant. He has established covenantal roles and he has established the parameters of husbands and wives living together in marriage, holy matrimony before himself. And he has also declared in his word what conduct a woman is obligated to towards her husband and what conduct a husband is obligated to for his wife. You may question whether or not God has a right to establish the parameters of marriage and whether or not God has a right to delineate according to men and women both what they owe to one another in conduct and in their holy way of life. But Psalm 100 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. That goes against the statements from the recent news and from the affirmations of state houses that believe that even little children can clarify who they are. They're essentially granting to them the sovereign ability to make themselves. And yet God is the one who has made us. Denny Burke, a PCA preacher, says this, the one who creates has the right to command. He also has the right to name and define Indeed, he has written his design into every cell of our bodies. Our actual identity as male and female is not self-constructed, self-defined, or self-directed. Our identity as male and female is God-constructed, God-defined, God-directed. Maleness or femaleness aren't assigned at birth. Rather, they are revealed in God's special, distinctive design of male and female bodies. And when that baby comes from the womb, The doctors, the nurses, the mothers, the fathers, they all know instantly this is male or this is female. I think there is something equally heinous, and that is the males, masculine degradation of women as sexual objects, an oppressive or or somehow men who misrepresent their wives as an oppressive obligation, someone that to whom they are obligated, but they They'd rather it were not so. Or even the misrepresentation of women as emotionally unstable or in some way or in any other way dishonoring their persons. We all know what that looks like. Uh, Ridicule, uh, seemingly innocent ridicule that is not innocent at all, that rather represents what they are thinking inside of their wives. This is the context in which Peter is writing this epistle. And it's the context, frankly, in which we find ourselves. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing really changes, dear friends. It only exacerbates. It only becomes more and increasingly more so sinful. And and it proliferates. And certainly we find ourselves in that way in our culture today. The context is such that Peter has been discussing how Christians ought to live. 
So how ought Christians to live? He has been clarifying within a f- various frameworks. He has talked about masters and their servants. In other words, economic relationships of how we are to work and, and to perhaps even win this person to, to the gospel through our godly and holy conduct as we serve and work. The same has been stated even in chapter 2 for all of us. Submit yourselves to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the king or as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God. And so he is calling for fundamentally, he's going to apply it to every seeming sphere in, 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 in cultural and, and in human relationships. But he, is, he is, has this overarching principle, and that is that we are to live godly lives. We are, we are to live intentionally. Uh, we are to live uh, carefully. We are to quiet the foolishness of our mouths. In order that, we might quiet the foolishness of unbelievers and their complaints against believers. That's what he said in the immediate context of chapter 2. And so that our, 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 our lives might display for them the glory of the gospel, such that one day they will praise God for what they observed in your life and in mine. So that's what he is engaged in. And now this week he comes to the the relationship of husbands to wives and wives to husbands. And so he's got two things in this passage. He's got biblical counsel for wives and he's got biblical counsel for husbands. We'll spend some time on both of them. First, biblical counsel for wives. We we need to see the basic assumptions about what the norm is. And, and we might overlook it if we go quickly through this passage, but we need to see that there are assumptions behind this passage, an assumption that first and foremost, marriage, any romantic connection in, in which one unites oneself to another human being for both romantic connection, but also economic help as well as all the and reproduction, all the purposes for which God gave man uh, to, to, to woman and woman to man. God has clarified it is only and can only be between a man and a woman. There is no other amalgamation here in verses 1 through 7. There is no other mixture. There is no other subsidiary, no, no longer, no, no other subset of human relationship uh, in, in the same, that functions in the same capacity. No room for civil unions, no room for <clears throat> living together all of which is heinous in God's sight, but God has united man to female and female to man. I think there's also something here too, and, and that is that there's such, there's such clear assumptions or, or presumptions behind the passage that, 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 that the relationship of a husband to his wife and a wife to her husband is lifelong. It is monogamous. It does not permit any other man or woman to come into the relationship. That it is appropriate that the woman is able to believe and cognitively think for herself. She is able to function for herself independently, to think carefully about her life and her conduct with her husband. And he is able to, in the same way, care for her with understanding. That means they are mature. They are not children. Like what we have, I, I read an article yesterday that said a man tried to force a, a young 12 or 13 year old young woman into a relationship to marry her and then take her out of the country. But he was caught in the last second. Thank God. That is equally heinous in God's sight. Monogamous, lifelong relationship between a husband and a wife. Not in any other form or, or way or manner which characterizes genuine human romantic and marital relationship is, is what God has created man and woman to be. Anything else is man-made. And so he says to wives, be subject. Be subject to your own husbands. Now, let's make certain that he is not saying women in general, be subject to men in general. He's not saying that. 
He's speaking to the marital relationship between a man and a woman, a wife and her husband. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that if any of them are disobedient in the, to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. This is Christian wives to their husbands. There are other biblical obligations of submission. None of us is is uh, none of us can walk away from those obligations. Uh, we are to submit to our godly leaders, those who have care over our souls. We are to we are to revere them and and honor them with double honor, and we are to to listen when they come with the word of God and a, and a challenge in that word and with a rebuke or an instruction that we need to hear. We are commanded within the same passage to submit to one another. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That, that includes all of us. And there are other passages that tell us that we must submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us, male, female, married, unmarried. There are numerous biblical echoes about the same concerning wives to their husbands. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 35, if, if they, women, desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in the church. He's referring there to public gathered assembly preaching. He is, he is not restricting women from asking genuine and needful questions, uh, nor piping up in Bible studies. He is simply dealing with the subject of preaching. And no, women are not to preach in the church. They may teach, they may instruct in various contexts, but they may not preach from the pulpit. It's that simple. And it's not because I don't want it. Sometimes it it might be quite a whole lot easier to find someone to fill the pulpit when I'm away on vacations, but no, that... I'm just joking, but 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 God has and 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 to be frank, I, I know plenty of women who are more than capable of probably speaking a better word than myself. But God has not called them to that. There are numerous biblical echoes concerning wives to their husbands. First Corinthians fourteen thirty five, and the norm there establishes women are learning from their husbands who help them, who help to lead and instruct and refer and open the word to their wives and pray with them, entertaining godly conversation in the home. That when they want an answer to things after they've left the Bible study, they've asked all their questions. They will then continue their discussion with their husbands, looking for counsel and and each of them interacting together and. Following as God leads. 1 Corinthians 11.3 Christ is the head of every man and, and man is the head of the woman and God is the head of Christ. Ephesians 5.22 And following wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. No, not as the church submits to Pardon me, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Submission is drawn uh, even from the immediate context in verse 21, even though it does not say submit in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. It does say in verse 21 uh, uh, that everyone is to submit uh, to God, uh, and and then wives to your own husbands in verse 22, just to be fair and to be honest, biblically. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Titus 2.3, lastly, says, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. So we, we cannot readily see that, that the purposes for which a woman is called into submission to her husband, and we'll, we'll discuss what submission is, but the reasons for which we have seen them called into submission to their husbands is so that their husband will take up their calling, which God has called them to, to lead their wives. Further, so that the word of God will not be maligned. Further, so that they will be won by the godly conduct as you, in fact, ultimately submit to God. 
Submission is often misunderstood and mischaracterized. Its purpose here is that Christian wives would be the instrumentation of the winning of their unbelieving husbands. Don't we need that reminder, both men and women? And men, we'll, 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 we'll get that reminder too. Our marriages, our world is bigger than ourselves. It's, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's not all about our felt needs. It's not all about our personal satisfaction. Marriage is about glorifying God. Marriage is about clarifying the gospel in holy conduct. Marriage is fundamentally about obeying God and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Our generation needs to hear that. Somehow we've come to believe that marriage is about sex, but it's it's about God. God has given us many benefits from which we, we will benefit in marriage, but it's fundamentally about God and for God. The desire here in Peter is that unbelieving Husbands of wives would see the conduct of their, li- their, their wives and, and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. They lived in a society when women were, as it were, property. Uh, they were something that men owned and, uh, and they had less rights. And I was surprised to read the history of women's rights in America and the women's rights to vote and all that kind of thing. I remember my, my mother many, many years ago going to Concerned Women for America and, uh, and, 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 and engaging in that fight, that argument about uh, feminism and, and the, the, the exaltation of women and, and what that looked like, what it ought to be is from a Christian woman's perspective. <clears throat> but in that day, women were being encouraged to uh, it, it was it was the legal requirement, really, if you were married to a man, to take his religion, to believe what he believed. And so Peter is countercultural, really, and he's saying, "Look, women, you are an heir of the riches of Jesus Christ, and and if you are bound in marriage, don't abandon that marriage," as Paul says, and Peter is affirming here in the passage, incidentally, too. But rather, don't, don't, don't adhere to his religion either because it's, it's useless, it's empty, it's worthless, you're surrendering your birthright, you're gonna lose your soul over this. Rather, maintain what you are, you're a believer. Do it with a quiet submission and godly conduct and he may be one. God will use that for your gospel witness in your home. It's really an extraordinary thing that he is saying here. Women, act independently of your husband with regard to your commitment to Jesus Christ. Don't let go of that commitment. Don't surrender your faith. That's paramount. But win your husband over into the gospel enterprise by your godly conduct and your willingness to submit to his leadership. Now, what we're not talking about here is domination or oppression. One person rule or one person makes the final decision. It's, it's, it's submission doesn't put the husband in the position of his authority being over that of Jesus Christ. That somehow if he says it, you've got to do it. Well, Christ is of first importance in your life and ought to be. If your husband asks you to do something that is in contradiction to, to what Jesus says, you're to obey Jesus. And disobey your husband. It's not doing what is prohibited. In fact, Peter references that, I think, in verse 2. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Respectful and pure conduct is more literally. What is he saying? He's saying, look, your conduct has to be pure and, and, and it has to be respectable in the sense that they are not to live unchaste, ungodly, wicked lives. And so 
Submission does not mean just doing everything you're told. It, it doesn't mean that you affirm or approve or teach or do anything in contradiction to Christ's word. It doesn't mean that they may only receive instruction from their husbands or can't ask a question in an open forum or in church or in Bible study, or even that a woman can't disagree with regard to biblical theology or truth or think independently for themselves. All of this necessitates that wives help their husbands think biblically and sharpen his theology to impact to encourage to guide their husbands whether non-christians or christians alike more than more than this even to winsomely by their godly conduct and way of life be an example to their husbands in their disposition disposition and faith and to win their husbands for jesus a godly woman whose husband is not a believer and and the converse is true ought to consider their spouse to be their mission field of first primacy. This means that Christian wives need to be deeply thoughtful, equally so to their husbands, if not more so, about their lives, never giving up careful intellectual freedom or wisdom, but using it in a godly way, and even honing their husband's understanding by asking good questions, by opening up the word in the sense that explaining things you've learned yourself. And helping guide his thinking. There's nothing wrong with a young bride who's come out of a reformed church, who has reformed convictions, who marries a man who's a committed believer, who's not acquainted with the reformed faith, and who helps him think about his Arminian tendencies and questions him and helps him to come to understand. But she uses her intellectual freedom and wisdom in a godly way and without fear, with courage, with wisdom, even when faced with an oppressive or stronger. Is that not a reality that males are stronger than females? I heard Martina Navratilova, one of the biggest feminists of the 70s and 80s that I knew of. She played in the tennis circuit. She was a legendary tennis player. She came out this last week and said, I don't like, or, or I wouldn't follow her in everything that she says, but she came out and said, yes, men are stronger, men are larger. There is a difference. They should not be playing men, women's sports. She's right. She's not approaching that as a Christian. She's approaching that position simply with physiology, reality of science, something we hear echoed in the news often and yet used as a stick to beat us over our heads and not adhered to when it doesn't fit their means or their other commitments. Submission, according to this passage, is the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit doing good and not fearing. I think there's a helpful definition I'm going to quote from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood It says this, submission refers to a a wife's divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It is not an absolute surrender of her will. Rather, we speak of her disposition to yield to her husband's guidance and her inclination to follow his leadership. Recently, a young man came to me and asking for books to read as he was betrothed to his uh, or engaged uh, to his uh, his fiance and he you know can you tell me some good books to read can you tell me what we need to be doing to what we need to be speaking about how we need to talk and 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 what are some subjects that we need to take up what should i be talking about with her it was a good example of a godly young man taking uh, ownership of the fact that he needs to lead his wife. There's a complaint that submission is a sexist idea. This command, uh, and there are, there are, I can share with you dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of people who think so, of the United Methodist Church that is removed, has joined with the World Council of Churches, uh, and, and has removed any, any gender-specific language from the Bible, rejects the idea, and in fact has... Uh, They have preached from the pulpit saying that, uh, in fact, Paul was a misogynist, uh, was sexist, was uh, you name it. 
But this command has been given as noted to all of us. We have all been commanded to submit to every human institution, to every government, to one another, to Jesus Christ, to those who are in positions of authority over us in the workplace, that we are even to submit our own rights to others uh, who are non-Christians for the sake of their salvation and for the sake of displaying the gospel and our willingness uh, to surrender our rights and even to be defrauded. God's word seeks to elevate women here in this passage. Don't, don't we need this in the day of social influencers and reality television, both of which are entirely unreal? You do know that, I hope. From slavery to status, social influence, shallow beauty, this word frees us from these things, from, from their fallen and sinful nature and opposition to God and enables genuineness and godliness and the pleasure of God in your persons and in your conduct. Do you not desire God to be pleased with your conduct in your home, toward your husband, toward others, and follow Christ's example? 1 Corinthians 15.25, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this then, the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Godly Christian wives and women, God has not called you to anything beyond what he has required of every Christian person. Submission to all that God has commanded. Fundamentally for one reason, so that we will submit to God himself, so that God will be all in all, so that Christ will be exalted and lifted up. Why should a Christian wife pursue this? Well, in verse 4, because it is precious in the sight of God. In what does God find beauty? What, what, what is very precious to him? Abstinence from makeup and from hair combs and braids and pants and jewelry, as the Mennonites do. I find it laughable that somehow this passage is taken to mean that women should should therefore not in any way have any regard to their external adornment, when in fact it does mention putting on dresses. So women are not to dress themselves in the assembly of God's people? Sure they are. You may put on a dress. Women put on dresses. Women are to be clothed in the public assembly of the church, as are men. But it simply means that the dress is not the focus it shouldn't be resplendent. It shouldn't be for the purpose of... We've seen ladies going to church. They have hats out to here. And they are, they, 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 they are wearing their clothing in such a way that it is either suggestive or it is so resplendent that they're not saying, Glory to God in the highest. But rather, look at me. So what does God want us to do? He wants women to affirm genuine beauty as defined by his word. And here is your motivation. In verses 5 and 6, For in this way, in formal times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now this, is, this passage is not saying that women everywhere should call their husbands Lord, nor that husbands in their homes should live with their wives with understanding and require them to refer to him as Lord. It's just simply what Sarah did. And she did it out of reverence for her husband, and she loved him, and so she called him Lord. We didn't live in biblical times like that. We can't perhaps even understand her intention and why she would say that, but... I love when my wife calls me by my name, but she also calls me other things, too. She calls me dad in front of my children. She calls me uh, uh, your daddy. She, 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 in other words, represents me before my children in such a way that they remember who I am. I'm not Stephen. 
I'm not an adherent for young children referring to their parents by their first name. Uh, nor, nor even young, young, young children referring to adults by their first name, but rather with, with some kind of recognition of the fact that they are older, wiser, to be revered, honored, respected. <clears throat> so Sarah referred to Abraham in that way. Well, it's a wonderful thing that she did. And you've become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. But don't miss it in verse 5. For in this way, the former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God. How is it possible for you one day to affirm your husband's, or even present day, for you to affirm your husband's leadership? How is it possible? Because you trust in God. Because you love the Lord. Because you believe that God has created marriage and he has bound you together with your spouse according to his purposes and in his providence. Now some biblical counsel for husbands. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 it says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's an extraordinary measure. He loved the church to such a degree that he gave himself up for her, even being willing to die for her. I'm reminded of the story from Peggy Noonan. She wrote and she said, once about 10 years ago, there was a story. You might have read about it in your local tabloid or supermarket tabloid, like the National Enquirer, about an American man and woman who were on their honeymoon in Australia or in New Zealand. You never go in the water there. You just never go in the water there. I'm sorry. Just don't, don't ever go in the water there. I know that. They didn't know that. They were swimming in the ocean, water chest high. Never, ever do that. Uh, only about this deep, that's it. The sharks will not get you. But there they were. They were swimming in the ocean, water chest high. From nowhere came a shark. The shark went straight for the woman, opened its jaws. Do you know what the man did, Peggy Noonan says? He punched the shark in the head. He punched it, and he punched it again. He didn't do a brilliant commentary on the shark. He didn't share his sensitive feelings about the shark. He didn't make wry observations about the shark. He punched the shark in the head. So the shark let go of his wife, went straight for him, and killed him. And the wife survived to tell the story of what her husband had done. He had tried to deck a shark, I told my friends. That's what a wonderful man is. A man who will try and deck a shark. I don't know what the guy did for a living, Peggy says, but he had a very old-fashioned sense of what it is to be a man. It's hard to be a man, she says. I'm certain of it. To be a man in this world is not easy. I know that you're, what you're thinking, but it's not easy to be a woman. And you're so right, but women get to complain and make others feel bad about their plight. Men have to suck it up. Good men suck it up and remain good-natured, constructive, and helpful. Less good men become the kind of men who are spoofed on the man show, babe-watching, dope-smoking nihilists. Isn't Peter saying, men, acquit yourselves like men. Be a godly man. I'm ashamed at the young men in our churches who would rather play video games than obligate themselves one day in covenantal obligation to marry a wife. I'm told that it is a malady amongst churches that is ridiculous. I've heard from wives who have complained to their husbands, all he wants to do when he comes home from work is play on his video games. There's nothing worse than a man who doesn't give himself for his wife. I don't think there's a lower position for a man to be in. You husbands, in the same way. And I love how it says that. It said that in verse 1 of chapter 3. In the same way, you wives. In other words, Peter is saying, look, wives, husbands, all of you, all of us are obligated in the same way as masters and servants, as citizens, as Christian persons, as members of the church, all of us are obligated in some way to submission, to understanding, to kindness, to act in a godly way in our relationships. And once we get over ourselves, we'll recognize that. We can come, we can come to see that. 
And so he says, you husbands, in the same way, you're obligated to your wife similarly. You're obligated to her and to her nurture and care. You're obligated to care for her and lead her in a way that God has commanded and called you to do. In the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. In other words, let go of the bitterness. Stop being self-centered. Don't be embittered against her. Don't argue and fight with her, but rather instruct, lead, help, sanctify, stop complaining, be a godly man. I'll tell you, I don't think there will be marital conflict and there will not be marital disagreement over the significant issues and choices and decisions if a husband is living with his wife in understanding and if the woman is submitting to her husband in a godly way. They will always inevitably come to agreement. They will. She will so submit to her husband and want in such a godly fashion to love her husband, to yield to his leadership, that she will say, husband, I trust you. And more than that, I trust God. I don't trust your skills as being more refined than mine or you having more intellectual skills than I have. You may not, in fact, guys. But I so trust God that I'm willing to entrust you with this decision. And and simultaneously, he will be saying, I I so love you and I so understand my responsibilities to you and I I, I want to understand the the things that you're concerned about here and and I want to live with you in understanding. You are an, an heir of the grace of life with me. I don't want my prayers to be hindered. I'm going to listen to what you said because you're wise and God has given you counsel and he's called you to be my helpmate and I'm a fool if I don't listen to you. Husbands, love your wives. Colossians 3.19 Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Are you harsh with your wives? Your wife? Are you harsh? That's an indication of that, you're, that you're not in right union with Jesus Christ. It means perhaps that you have not experienced the love of God in Christ Jesus. Or it means that there is a serious, sobering, significant disconnect between what you say you believe and what the conduct of your life is. And God commands you in this word and in in so many others, there is a, a thread that runs from beginning to end. Your faith must serve Your conduct. They cannot be disconnected. You must be holy. As God is holy. How are you clarifying and affirming what is precious in God's sight? Is all that you ask your wife to be all about the physical rather than the spiritual? Aren't you doing a disservice to your children and to yourself? And to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. When all you want from your wife is the physical, you are harming your own soul. And that may be all that you ever get. Are you belligerent, unapproachable, emotionally distant, cold, indifferent, unfeeling? Well, clarifying that clothing you prefer to her, for her to wear and the physical affection you want, and yet not, not clarifying for her what you find beautiful about her godly character. And not building her up in Jesus Christ. Have you ministered to her soul? Are you helping, contributing to the hidden person of the heart? Are you encouraging imperishable beauty with understanding? In the last day when she stands with Christ... She won't want the costly gifts that you got her. She will want the careful daily instruction, the quiet, persistent prayerfulness, the the commendation and encouragement of what you find admirable in her concerning Christ. Is the pleasure of your sight of greater importance to you than God's pleasure in her? 
God gave you her so that you might see her sanctified, washed in the word of God. So that you can show her in the same way, as Peter says, in the same way that gospel enterprise. As you treat her and as you emotionally connect with her, as you physically connect with her, as you love her in every different way that a man loves a woman, are you doing so such that she sees Christ in you? And she is encouraged to see Christ in her. That is your calling. That is your calling, dear brothers, before God. There are differences between men and women. Men, you should be spending yourself for your wife, surrendering everything for her good, protecting her in every possible way with your strength, not using it, to berate her or put her in a lesser position than yourself. Not lording it over her, doing the things that physically she cannot do, being strong for her, showing honor to her. Open the door for her. Speak well of her amongst your children. Don't denigrate her name. Don't ridicule her. Don't speak about her privately and say, roll your eyes and say, well, my wife wants me to do this. Honor your wife. Don't share things that are secret between a husband and a wife with other men. Don't talk about what she does physically with you. Don't humiliate her when she has a low moment or a low day, when she does something embarrassing or foolish or makes a bad decision. Don't blame her. Take it on yourself. Honor your wife. Why should you do that? Because because you're serving God in doing that. You need to give up your life for her. You need to be strong for her. You're not looking to your wife to be your mother. And far too many young men look to their wives, their future wives, to mother them. She is not your mother. She is your wife. And so treat her like your wife. Honor her as worthy of giving up your life for her because she's an heir of the grace of life with you. I heard recently that I forget what foolish statement or what what foolish individual said it, but that marriage is to be 25-25. That you give 25% and and she gives 25% and then you have 50% and and 50% is... um, You get 50% here and you get 50% there. And before you know it, you have 100% of a marriage. Well, uh, that's ridiculous. I've heard others say 35% and 35%. I've heard others say 50% and 50%. It's all across the board. Well, no, a godly man is to give 100% of himself to his wife. And she is to give 100% of herself to him. Matthew Henry said in creating... In creating woman, God did not take her out of the head of man to be over him, nor form his feet to be under him, but out of his side to be equal with him, from under his arm to be sheltered and protected by him, and from, 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 from near his heart to walk in sympathy and helpfulness by his side. Women... If you don't have that in your husband's, work towards this and pray for him and encourage and ask him to do this. Expect it of him. Don't make excuses for him. He is entirely capable of being godly. He is entirely capable of walking in godliness before you. He is entirely capable of living with you with understanding and showing her you honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. This is a real rebuke to husbands here. You're not serving Jesus Christ if you're not leading your wives. So get started. Mothers and fathers, train your children correctly. Teach your little ones. Teach your, teach your boys and teach your girls what their obligations are in marriage. Teach them what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman. And let your life teach. 
Husbands, praise your wife's submissive and trustful heart. Encourage her in her faith and obedience to God. Praise and commend her for more than just the external things of beauty. When she does well, tell her that. Not somehow like you're her parent or like you're her boss and she owes it to you. But marvel. Marvel as a co-heir of Jesus Christ and of the riches of Christ through his grace. Marvel and praise God over what God has given to you. Marriage, dear friends, is part of the gospel enterprise. The glory of the Son of God is always in view. And that is for every single one of us, whether we are married or not. Isn't God astounding how he provides for each of us the parameters of what it means to be a man and a woman in our world? You do not need to be in confusion over who you are. If you are a woman and if you are single, if you are a man and you are single, God has called you into his service. In fact, biblically, that is the reason for which singleness is noted biblically. It's so that we might enter into the service of God. Otherwise, we are under the calling of God from the Garden of Eden. Go, take to yourself yourself a godly sister. Multiply, fill the earth, subdue the earth. My prayer is that you would enter into this holy relationship, that you would find a godly sister who meets these criteria. We are under obligation before God to live in God's way. Therefore, I need to ask the question, are we in need of submitting before God and repenting of our sins, of unrealistic expectations about marriage and of our spouses, but also unrealistic expectations about what marriage ought to be and what I think it should look like? Marriage is part of that gospel enterprise. The glory of the Son of God is always in view. And this is our highest calling above all others, to glorify the Son of God in economy, in government, in human institutions, boyfriends and girlfriends, husbands and wives, marital relationships, and in every other context under the sun. May God help us to trust him. Let's pray.